Hey, this is Channing. And this is Leah. And you reached Vessel Art as a Doorway. Welcome to episode 21. Hey guys, we're so excited that you're here with us today at Vessel Art as a Doorway. If this is one of your first times listening into this episode, thank you so much. And if you're a longtime subscriber, we want to thank you too. We're, we're, we're just so appreciative that you listen to us on a, on a monthly, even weekly basis. Today, our interview is with a magnificent person, Diane Brown, the founder of RX Arts. We cannot wait for you to listen into this interview. Yeah, she's such a fascinating woman, and what she does is really, really interesting. She had an unpleasant experience at a hospital having to get a CT scan done, and that led her to creating this really interesting organization that actually prescribes art for hospitals. She'll tell you more about it. You will really enjoy it. So let's listen into this interview with Diane Brown from RX Arts. Audience, we are so excited today. We have the privilege to be with Diane Brown, the founder of RX Arts. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leah and Channing. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really delighted to be here. Audience, you're going to learn so much from Diane. We've been following her for over a year now uh, with RX Art. And we've been seeing some of the things that she's been doing in the arts community. And we cannot wait for you to listen into this discussion with her to see how she's actually been changing, really, in my personal opinion, changing the art community. We're so happy to have you, Diane. Thank you. Well, Diane, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you come from and uh, just a little bit of background, how you were able to get into the art community. Um, I started out, um, well, I went to college at the University of Wisconsin. I'm from Ohio. I was pre-med because my dad wanted me to be a doctor. I wanted to study art history. He bribed me by sending me skiing in Aspen every semester to think about my major. And of course, I thought I wanted to keep skiing, so I continued with pre-med. And I wound up graduating in chemistry and biology. But, you know, I wanted to, all I wanted was to be around art. So after working for a couple of years in chemistry and biology and cancer research and food research, I went back to school briefly in um, art history. I, I wasn't really learning fast enough for me. I felt like I was really old. I was already 24. I felt ancient and I knew I had to hurry up and get started with my career. So I um, started just taking, I left school and used the time and the money to buy books and journals and go to galleries and museums. And I think really that's how you learn about art um, is by looking. I mean, I wasn't being taught in these early courses how to think or look critically at art and that's what I needed to do. But um, I opened my first gallery in Washington DC in 1976. And, um, and it was good. Washington was an exciting place then. We had lots of very talented people in the art world. We all thought we could make New York and the rest of the world come to DC. The museums are great, they're free, but you can't make people come to DC unless they're <laughs> politicians. 
I mean, that's the business in Washington and that's pretty much how it was staying. So it seems that all of us left. I moved to New York and opened a gallery there, which I had for um, nine years in Soho and was super proud of my gallery there. I represented great artists, hmm. um, worked with emerging artists and worked on building um, worldwide careers for them. I'm, I loved my gallery, but I um, closed it in 92 and worked as a private curator. I worked um, creating a corporate collection for one of the collectors that had been my client of my gallery. Yeah, and while I was working for him, I had uh, some medical issues and I had to have a CAT scan. I was really nervous. It's not, I mean, I, I say now it's not a frightening test, but it was frightening to me. And I know it's frightening to the children we work with. You go into this donut. I mean, it's just unpleasant. It's nothing that hurts. It's just intimidating. And I was especially afraid of what that they would find what they were looking for, which happily they did not. But um, I wanted to get out of the room in the worst way. And my only way to get out was in my imagination. So I imagined a painting going across the ceiling just spontaneously uh, by Matthew Ritchie. And if you know his work, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot to look at. So I was um, looking at all this vocabulary of Matthews and completely engrossed in it. And then the test was over. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Um, I'd like to do this for other people. So I asked curators, critics, collectors, artists, do you think I can put museum quality art in hospitals, not charge the hospital and pay the artists? Everyone said I was insane, except for Agnes Gund, who's the most fabulous philanthropist and wonderful person. If you haven't seen the film Aggie, you should. You can see it on um, YouTube, I think. And I, well, look it up. You can see it. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> she told me to try it. And so, um, so here we are, 20 years later. Uh, the beginning was really hard because people knew me in the art world, but no one in the hospital or medical world knew anything about me. And nobody wanted to take a chance on letting me put art in their hospital. Finally, um, one of my advisory board members who is a trustee emeritus of Rockefeller University, which is um, it's a research hospital. So there are about 30 patient beds and they're always doing different clinical studies. They, he said, you'll let her try. And they said, okay, three months, she can put art up for three months. And if my patients don't like it, if the staff doesn't like it, she'll take it out. So we had a book where people could put their comments. Three months later, they said, could you do some more? So, wow. um, and that's pretty much our experience with hospitals. It took a while for hospitals not to be leery of us. Um, it seems crazy, I know, but they think, what's the catch? She's not charging us. There's got to be something wrong here. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong. This is what we do. We, we know that hospitals have to spend their money on the best doctors, the best equipment, the best facility, and they don't have time, expertise, or money to spend it on art. Mm -hmm. So that's our job. Mm -hmm. So do you know why in the beginning there was pushback with? Um... Sure, sure, sure. Because they didn't know who I was. Um, it's a funny story. Um, feel free to edit it. But uh, no. <laughs> um, we, I, the first hospital where I was given this opportunity was Rockefeller, as I said. And just when I had been given permission, they got a new medical director. Barry Kohler, he called me up and he said, 
hello, I understand that you want to put some art in, in the hospital, in the patient wing. I said, yes. And he said, well, that's wonderful. I would love to meet you and um, let's have dinner. And oh, my wife is a curator and she'll join us. And I thought, what could be worse? A curating wife, right? <laughs> I think, of course, I figure she won't know anything. She's just a doctor's wife. And this is the nightmare that I have been anticipating. So I go to meet them and Barry's not there yet, but Bobby, his wife is, and she's very attractive. So I think, of course, she doesn't know anything. And I sit down with her and start to talk to her and she's brilliant, brilliant and really knows what she's talking about. And I immediately became friendly with her. But the flip side of the story, and we, um, Bobby and Barry teach a class at Mount Sinai Medical School in art and medicine. And they invite me happily once a year to be a guest lecturer. And in that lecture, we always tell how we met. And Bobby, Barry had said to his wife, someone wants to put art in Rockefeller. And his wife said, she probably doesn't know anything. There are so many people that tell you they know about art. Really, they don't know anything. And Rockefeller has such amazing art from David Rockefeller. We can't let somebody who doesn't really know their stuff put art here. So I'm going with you. So we both came at it from expecting the worst from the other. And we've been such good friends for 20 years. Wow, that's amazing. But, you know, until we have had some experience on putting heart in hospitals, usually when we work with a hospital, they want us to do more. And we've started RX Art Canada now. And I was just speaking to some of our Canadian supporters saying that it's slow going. We've done one project. We're working on two more. Once we get a few more projects under our belt, Canadian hospitals will understand that it's free. And this is something that's transforming their facility, making it more attractive to patients, better for their staff. I mean, everybody benefits, the families, the staff. Mm -hmm. If the environment is better and the staff are happier, the kids will be better served too. So what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from, first of all, like the patients? We get great feedback. Um, there was a little girl at Children's Hospital of Orange County where Rob Pruitt did a radiology department. He did all four walls, um, 425 foot long corridors, the waiting room and the CAT scan room with a wrap on the CAT scan machine. And this little girl who I think was nine years old and had been having regular scans since she was two, wow. said she was always afraid and thought the machine would swallow her. <laughs> and when she saw Rob's fantastic seascape and the little bird on top. She felt so happy and she wanted to scan and she wasn't afraid anymore. And a little boy, we recently completed a project with um, Takashi Murakami at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. The wallpaper are all his smiling flower faces and it's the entire CAT scan suite. And the CAT scan machine itself is a beautiful scene of sky and clouds and little smiling flowers. It complements the wallpaper. This little boy's mother said, he's always afraid. He's always crying when he gets scans. And he came in and saw the Murakami wallpaper and he thought the flowers were smiling at him. So he smiled back. Wow. Yeah, so so audience, what we're talking about, if you're not uh, familiar with some of the things that Diane is talking about, when a patient enters into the CT scan, personally, I'm a professional radiology technologist and I, I used to work in the CAT scan department. A lot of times patients are extremely fearful 
of what will happen in that scan. And it's a small hole, a donut hole, either their head or their body goes through to actually um, have their body scanned by this machine. And people are extremely fearful when this happens. Not everyone, but especially children. At times, children have to actually be sedated. And sometimes they actually have to have the anesthesiologist actually put an ET tube down their mouths to actually calm them down, to actually receive this scan. So what Diane is talking about is something extremely useful in the medical field. I, I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I wish some of my patients actually would have had some of these things when I was doing CAT scans. I, I, I think a lot of the children would definitely appreciate what, what you guys are doing. I wish I had had it when I had my first cat scan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something about uh, getting swallowed up by some big machine that, you know, that, that really sets people off, isn't it? No one likes it. How have some of the staff reacted to the art that you, you guys have put in these hospitals? We get thank you notes from the staff. We get calls. We get emails. When, of course, since COVID has taken over everybody's life. It's been so difficult for staff members. These frontline workers are under so much pressure um, and there've been so many more patients. And we put Jonas Wood privacy curtains in the PICU, the pediatric ICU at Children's, Hospital, Children's National Hospital in Washington, DC. And the doctors and nurses said that when kids would come in and they're so afraid, they're very sick and they're afraid. And they calmed them down by showing them the curtains and saying, can you find the dinosaur? How many bananas or basketballs do you see? And they were able to, it's able, they're able to start a conversation, not about illness. And that's really what we're trying to do with our XR, give people um, a place to start a conversation about imagination. So we've jumped around and we've gotten right into the meat and potatoes of the discussion. <laughs> now, you talked about RX art. Just to rewind just a little bit, how would you describe RX art? What, what, what is it? You know, I, you know, from a medical perspective, I understand RX, but for yeah. some people in our audience, they may not understand that. Could you explain that to us a little bit? Sure, RX art, um, my, the, my daughter came up with the name. RX is from prescription. So it's like prescription art. We commission the best artists in the whole world to create um, site-specific installations in pediatric hospitals to completely transform these formerly scary and sterile environments into more welcoming environments full of humor and beauty and comfort. Awesome, awesome. So you say some of the best artists. We, we work with um, really renowned artists. We, Ed Ruscha did a project for us at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. How amazing, I mean, for people that know about art and for people that don't know about art, to walk into the Blood Donor Center at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and see Ed Ruscha's mountains. Everybody can identify with them because they're the mountains of the West, because they're beautiful. They're also sort of funny because they have great little phrases on them. Bliss Bucket, for example. Um, anyway, they're, they're just, it's their fabulous works and they're beautiful. We had Urs Fisher, Laura Owens, and Sam Falls, artists of three different generations, really, do the ceilings and headboard walls of pediatric inpatient rooms at Cedars-Sinai. 
So when these kids are laying on their backs in bed, they're looking up at really fun and wonderful art. And the artists we work with are so generous. RX Art pays every artist an honorarium, and then we pay off fabrication, installation, travel, all expenses. Hospitals pay nothing, but the, these artists, get many of them get millions of dollars for their, for their paintings and their artworks. And we're giving them an honorarium that to a small nonprofit is significant, but to them, it's just a small, small token saying, we are so honored to work with you and so respect and value your talent and your generosity. So these artists are really working because they want to change a child's experience. That's how they get paid. They get paid knowing that they're helping children. So our, if they want to, unless they want to do that, they're not going to work with our arts. So we pre-select in a way for really generous and wonderful people. Now, what are some of the things artists have said to you about how they've been benefited from working with your, your nonprofit? Rob Pruitt, who's an artist on our board now, um, the first project he did with us was at St. Jude in Memphis. And after it was over, he said to me one night, he said, Diane, I think you got me into heaven. I said, not me, Rob, it was you. <laughs> but the artists are, you know, it means a lot. If I could make art and I could do something that would help a child who's ill, I can't think of anything that would be more meaningful. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. So really enjoyable. I really love hearing what you guys are doing and it's wonderful hearing how patients have been benefiting. One, a couple of things that we've talked about this season on the show is a few research, a few studies that show that patients that have a really pleasing aesthetic in their room, good lighting, beautiful art, their pain is less and they actually their hospital stay is less. So well, it, it shortens like the stay and they, it's documented that they use less pain medication because they're not thinking about it. They're not concentrating on pain. There's something else to take up their, their mind. You know, there's something else that they can use their imagination. They can look at something different and it takes you temporarily, even momentarily out of that space of sickness. So how do you, how did, how does RX art choose the hospitals that they work with? In the beginning, we had to beg them. So it was whoever we could beg but now we have more hospitals than we can work in. We're just a tiny organization. We're just three people. So we do a lot for how little we are. But um, now hospitals come to us and we have always like between five and eight projects in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Everything usually is, comes together at different moments. But many times, like since COVID, um, we had work that artists were working on and everything came to a stop because the hospitals were overwhelmed. The artists didn't go to their studios. They didn't have their assistance. We couldn't get into our office. We were all working remotely. The artists were working at home and they spent time just making their projects better and better and better. And then when in probably May, we were able to start fabricating and we installed Derek Adams project at Children's Hospital, New York Health and Hospitals Harlem, which is fantastic. And then we installed Jonas Wood, an extension of his privacy curtains into the emergency department at Children's National. And then we did the Murakami room and that all happened within about six weeks. Wow. Yeah, it's so inspiring to hear how 
artists are still creating in a time period like this. And especially in doing something for children, pediatric patients, it really touches my heart. That's actually one of the uh, favorite fields that I have as a healthcare worker is actually working with children because my heart just goes out to the families, especially uh, cardiology patients. I think when I used to work at Stanford, uh, one of the things uh, we saw was this, a statistic that went out that over 99% of pediatric patients that have pediatric fallout or who have actual um, uh, serious cardiology problems, 99% of those families end in divorce. And my heart just goes out to a lot of the mothers and the fathers who have sick children. And here they are trying to keep these kids alive. They come to the hospitals on a daily basis, sometimes even on a weekly basis. We see how McDonald's and other uh, corporations have actually uh, put things in place to help families. But some of these children, they're just dealing with broken homes. And now they can actually go to a hospital and see a work of art and it just picks them up. Wouldn't you agree? Don't you think that's just such a phenomenal thing that seeing how your program and the project that you're doing can actually touch a family? I sure hope so. I mean, art, art totally uplifts me. I, I, I can't live without visual art. So, um, and it's fun to expose people to wonderful art because many of the people, many of the children, many of the families that see the artwork that we install, they may not go to museums. They may not have the opportunity I mean, in New York, to go to the Metropolitan Museum, if you're not a New Yorker, is $25 a person. <laughs> Same with MoMA. There, think about taking a family there. If you, can't, you have to really be able to afford a lot to go to a museum, which is unfortunate. Um, but here you're seeing museum quality art and hopefully kids and their families can get turned on to art. It's, uh, it's intimidating sometimes, galleries are free. But people are often intimidated to go into them, maybe because they don't know a lot about contemporary art and they don't want to feel intimidated. They don't want to feel like they don't know, um, which is really sad and not correct. But <laughs> everybody can enjoy art. You don't have to know anything to love it. But in the hospital, you're seeing it. And, and it, there was a woman at first when we did Rockefeller, that's a, pretty much an adult situation. And we installed the art, as I told you, we were seeing how the patients reacted. And I knocked on a door and asked if I could come in and speak to the patient. And it was a woman who was undergoing a dermatology study and she couldn't leave her room. And she actually had a Matthew Ritchie print in her room. Mm. And I said, so can you, I'm the person that put the art in here. Can you tell me, how do you like it? Does it, are you enjoying seeing this? She said, you know, I don't really know anything about art and I don't really care about art. She mm -hmm. said, however, the only thing in this room is a clock and a bulletin board with my medications. So I wanna look at something else, trust me. She said, so I've been looking at this, this print and do you know what? She said, he said hi to me, look over here, he says hi. And then she said, and then he said something else. Every day I'm seeing something new. I mean, could you ask for more? Mm -hmm. That's what great art does. You see something new every day. And so, so maybe she'll go to a museum, you know? Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And it really shows sometimes how, how things may affect us, like maybe for whatever reason, 
I'm not sure what her, her story is or if there was some sort of bias or anything, but it doesn't even matter. The point is, is that that art in that room still affected her. And especially mm -hmm. maybe it was a new change of life, change of circumstances, and it helped her get through what she was going through. And that kind of comes to the, ne the next question I wanna ask is how do you go about, you and your team go about prescribing art for the hospitals that reach out to you? Well, <clears throat> the first thing is when we speak to a hospital, they tell us where they think they need the help most. Is it a waiting room? Um, Cedar sinai gave us a choice of doing corridors or ceilings, or I don't remember what else, but ceilings seemed really important to me, especially after having had that experience in the CAT scan. So we decided to do ceilings, and then we, we propose artists, um, considering the hospital's demographics, their location, their physical location. We work with local artists when we find someone who's appropriate for that project, not always, but frequently. And then we'll suggest artists to the hospital. And they're the ones living with the art every day. Patients change, but the staff pretty much stays the same. So we want to be sure that they're really on board with it and happy with it. It has to, of course, we've learned that the, the, the leadership in the hospital has to be involved or it doesn't make any sense. But when leadership and the staff that are living in that unit, in that department, um, make the decision of which artist. And then we follow up by asking that artist if they have time and interest in doing this project. Usually they do, but not always. And if not, we go on to the next artist. So, so do you hold like a series of meetings with them? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And usually we make a site visit. Right now, everything's virtual. So mm -hmm. we're, we have... We have great architects, HKS architects work for us pro bono all over the country, which is the greatest gift because without really precise measurements, our artists can't do these projects. Mm -hmm. We work a lot with wallpaper now. It doesn't make sense to paint in a hospital. It takes too much time. There's odors you know, that, are, that go along with paint and, and it could get damaged. Walls occasionally move. Right now we're talking about a wall moving, a huge wall, huge at um, Children's Hospital of Orange County where we, like a hundred foot wall that we installed art on. Mm -hmm. If that had been hand painted, oh my goodness. But it's a digital file, so we'll be able to replace it when the new wall come, is built. Yeah, that's really amazing, especially coming from a medical background. Um, one of the things that really, it always touches my heart. I was talking to one of my patients, and this is years ago at one of the hospitals I worked at. And she told us that her father had basically passed away. And she came into the hospital at one time. And here she is, you know, she's laying on a stretcher, and she's looking at the ceiling. And you know, that's all she's doing all day. So we did the cardiology study on her. It came out perfectly fine. And when I talked to her, she was like, is my heart okay? And I told her, I was like, yeah, your heart's fine. I says, you just had a broken heart because your father just passed away. So sometimes, you know, we, we as healthcare workers, we may not see the significance of a patient, 
you know, until we are on that stretcher and we're looking at the ceiling, then we become extremely empathetic. (laughs) When I went from actually being a healthcare worker to actually being a patient one day and I needed surgery, I became even more empathetic with my patient. And and that's the beautiful thing too about you do. And the one, the thing that I love about art and what I love about hearing from, from people that have been able to enjoy the work that I do too, is just the way that you can comfort a person because sometimes I think as humans, we get wrapped up in the practical, practical, you know, like they need food, shelter, and clothing, you know, we need medicine, you know, (laughs) but the thing is, is that our, the way we feel also affects the rest of our body, our healing and, and everything else. So by having the, the, like the way you guys are putting art in the hospital and prescribing it, it's just a really beautiful thing. And I'm so glad we've been able to talk to you about it, even on our podcast. Thank you, Leah. It's, it's, of course, I mean, your, your attitude has everything to do with your health. Mm-hmm. Your mind and your body are very connected. And if, mm-hmm. if you have a good attitude, if you're feeling calm, you're going to heal more quickly. Mm-hmm. So getting back to some of the artists that you work with, how have you kind of put together your Rolodex? I know you mentioned, it seems to me like you've worked with some of these artists before. So you have relationships with them, but then you also, sometimes you mentioned sometimes people in the, the local area. Is this something that you do research on or that you talk to, to find out what artists would be good with it? And is it that you look at just their artwork or do you also hear about maybe some of the projects that they're working on and whether or not it would be compatible with the hospitals that you work with? Well, we, we're looking at art all the time. I mean, after having had a gallery for 16 years and then worked as a private curator, I know a lot of artists, a lot of art dealers. And because this is my job and it's the job of the people that work with me, we're constantly out looking at art. We're reading magazines about art. We're looking at art locally. We go to art fairs nationally and internationally. So we're aware of what's going on. And we're always thinking about who would be appropriate for one of our projects. Um, What's interesting is that most, well, our artists, are they're not doing anything like Disney characters. They're not doing anything that's sort of babyish. I don't know the right word for this, but (laughs) they're really sophisticated artwork. And... I don't want them to change what they're doing for the hospital. I want to have work that directly relates to their practice that's recognizable as their work. Um, on the other hand, they know that if if their work has guns or whatever in it, that this is not for the children's hospital. Mm-hmm. So that's not what they're going to put. They're, one of, We had a problem in Canada with the hospital Googling the artist and say, oh my goodness, I saw something that was scary. I said, right, but that's not what they proposed. Well, what if our patients Google the artist and see something scary? I said, I don't know, what if your patients Google a diagnosis? Mm -hmm. That's even scarier. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. You don't tell patients to Google what to do for illness. They go to a doctor and listen. But um, yeah, the artist, um, you know, we're always looking, we're always thinking who would be best for the situation. And any artist, like I said earlier, that wants to work with us is working with us, certainly not for the money. They're working with us because they care about the idea of the, our mission and because they wanna help children. So they're gonna do something that's going to delight children. Wonderful. When we worked at St. Jude with Rob Pruitt, 
Marlo Thomas is really the, the angel, the guiding light of, of that hospital. And she wanted to, she was aware of Rob Pruitt's glitter pandas. I don't know if you are, but they're so fabulous. And that's what she wanted in this new cafe that they were building. So we, the, the artist, Will Cotton, Rob Pruitt and I had to go to a meeting at St. Jude in Memphis at 9 a.m. one morning to defend what we were gonna put in the hospital and to talk to the board about it. And when I brought up the idea of the glitter pandas, I said, you know, it, it won't be safe to have this painting in St. Jude unless it has a plexiglass box around it because the glitter will become dislodged over time, especially with the air currents constantly changing. And that would not be safe for the kids. And they didn't accept that idea that we could have a plexiglass box around the paintings. They want the kids to be able to touch the paintings, which is not common. They want them to be able to interact with them. So Rob had to come up with an idea that was as exciting as these glittery pandas and something that would really delight kids. So he came up with the idea of using spangly board. I don't know if you know what that is. It's these mylar discs, like one inch discs that are on hooks that twinkle in the breeze. They use them for car washes and sometimes on outdoor signs. You've seen them. Yes. They flutter in the breeze and look twinkly. So he, um, <laughs> he said that's what he was gonna use. So because it had to be safe, we ordered Spangly Board from all the producers of Spangly Board in the country, and happily there were not too many. And we sat in the office picking spangles off the hooks mm. because if we could pick them off, so could the kids. Mm. There was one company, happily, that we could not pick off. We couldn't get the spangles off the hooks, so they were the winner. Um, of course, it just goes without saying that they didn't make the right colors, but uh, all the spangles <laughs> had to be painted. But it's so it's, I mean, you, every time we do a project, we think, oh, now we get this. Now we know how to do this. No, we learn something from every project. There's always unexpected um, hoops to jump through, stumbling blocks, learnings, as one of my wonderful board members always says, there are learnings in every project. Uh, but that's what keeps it fun too. Yeah, that's wonderful. As you were talking about it, I was thinking about how all the effort that you and the artist and your team put into it. And I was thinking about all the kids on a daily basis that come and play with those things. And maybe you never know what, you know, who the kids are or how it affects their life. But we have an interview of an artist. He had he has a congenial bone disease and he had to be in the hospital ever, a lot ever since he was young. And people with his disease didn't live past like a they like didn't, 40. Yeah, like 40 or so. But what was interesting is that he happened to be at a hospital where there was art, where there was art nurses that encouraged him to interact and make art. And because of that, there is a, a, some sort of medical treatment that helps him be be able to live longer. But in addition to that, he became an artist. And now he works with USC and he's worked with UCLA. And he actually created a position where he helps doctors, doctors and surgeons, people who are in school to, to become doctors and surgeons. And he, he curates, he does art himself, but he also curates art exhibitions from patients. So if they have a heart uh, if they're going to be a heart a surgeon, a heart surgeon, then he'll find uh, artists that, 
that do art based around the heart surgery they had. And what it does is it creates a dialogue and it actually creates empathy in the heart of others. And I was just thinking about that as you were talking, just the domino effect that it it's had. True. You know, the, Bobby and Barry Kohler, as I was saying earlier, teach this course to medical to the medical school at Mount Sinai on art and medicine. And they're at the, Met, at the Metropolitan Museum, they have courses for medical students who go through and look at art. And it's a, it's a course because looking at art makes them more observant mm -hmm. and more empathetic. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, those two things are as important to healing, I think, as medicine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in radiology school, I remember they would always teach us things about physics and patient care, but not really how to have a good bedside manner with your patients. And that is a tremendous thing. You know, I, I remember seeing some of my patients, especially uh, some very embarrassing procedures that we had to do. Uh, maybe even if it was a uh, female related, very private matters. And when a patient comes in and they're extremely nervous and scared, and when you can get down on their level and create a, a, a feeling of comfort yes, and same. release with the, with the patient, the, the, the impact that from the beginning to the end, because I've had several of my patients actually die on the table. And when they came into the room, I actually shook their hand and I, I was able to calm them down. But it, it just has such a tremendous impact on a patient when they can see that, okay, they're in a space and someone actually cares about them. You know, so someone has invested time with them. To make their space comfortable too, like with what you guys are doing with the art. Uh, Dr. Bulis, who's the head of radiology at Children's uh, National Hospital in Washington, DC, um, did a very nice testimonial for us. And she said that no child, she doesn't want any child to need a scan. Mm -hmm. But if they do, she feels that coming into this room that's been so beautifully um, transformed lets the kids know they're in safe hands, in better hands, in hands that really care. Now, just switch paces a little bit. Going back to, it's, it's phenomenal to see what you're doing and phenomenal to hear about how art has had such an impact on your life and how you use it to comfort others. Um, what can you remember your the first memory of art that you have when you were a child? <laughs> yes, um, I did not grow up in a home with music or art. And those are the two things that absolutely feed me. So um, I think that I remember going to the Cleveland Museum of Art, which is an extraordinary museum. And since I did not grow up with art, I'm only imagining it must have been a school trip. Mm -hmm. But as I grew older, um, I mean, I had a car when I turned 16. I wasn't allowed to go to the museum because my father thought it was in a dangerous neighborhood. So on Saturday mornings, I would sneak to the museum for a few <laughs> hours. And my dad would say when I came home, hey, honey, what did you do? Well, what did you do this morning? I would say, oh, I was at the big boy parking lot with the kids and just hanging out for a few hours. And then I came home to do homework. Oh, nice. It was okay to be hanging out in a parking lot. If I told him that I was in the museum, I would have gotten punished. Hmm. 
You know, art has always been important to me as long as I can remember. One of the things we like to ask too is what what are one or two of the favorite art pieces that you personally own and live with on a daily basis? And what do you enjoy about living with them? I I, I enjoy every piece I live with or I wouldn't have it up. Um, <laughs> I have a, a, a brilliant, brilliant Eggleston photograph that I have lived with. Well, actually it was in my daughter's room from the time she was three until she got too old for art at about 14 and needed posters instead. And then she wanted it back when she was 17. (laughs) But right now it's in my home. Um, It's an extraordinary photograph. I never get tired of looking at it. What I think is so interesting is there are pieces in my home that I've had up for more than 20 years. I paint my apartment every three years. I move things around. But there are pieces that I never take down because I never get tired of looking at them. Mm-hmm. There is a work by Thomas Joshua Cooper, who's a photographer, another photographer, that I rearranged my living room so I could sit across from it and just look at that. And it just, I don't know, fills me up with such good feelings to just sit and look at that work. Um, I mean, great works by Maurizio Pellegrin, by Dan Colon, uh, Joel Fisher, I have a sculpture by Abraham David Christian that is that I've had for more than 30 years. It's made of earth. It's it's just I I love looking at these all the time. So uh, I live with a lot of art and I'm so lucky. That's wonderful. Now, when it comes to when you had your gallery and working with as a private dealer and consultant, was there a difference between the way you worked with them versus the way you work with RX Art? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I had a gallery, I represented about a dozen artists, and I worked to build their careers. Mm-hmm. There were always artists I really wanted to work with, but they were with other galleries. And that was just how it was. I worked with my artists. But with RX Art, it's amazing. I can work with anybody's artists. <laughs> you know, it's just the world is my oyster here. So as long as they're interested in doing a project, I can work with them. And the galleries are very generous and work with us to help. They don't get anything from working with us. They just are generous and help. I'm working as a, as a private curator was also really fun. I mean, I, I use someone else's money to buy great art and, uh, <laughs> and put it up in, in his business, uh, which was really interesting because it was business that did, ta- you know, corporate takeovers and things. And they were a bunch of young men that at that point there were no there was only one other woman who was anything except the secretary um but these young guys they they'd never looked at art they'd never studied art they were very dismissive in the beginning and we started having pizza on fridays and i would hang out in the lunchroom and say i'd like to talk to anyone who wants to talk about the art i'll talk to you about it and so we started talking started a dialogue and there was a case where i put a piece by um, by Willie Doherty in in one guy, in a, one of this new employee's office. I thought it was so great. So I put it in and I got a call from the office manager saying, Diane, you better come back to the office and get this work out of his office. He hates it. So I went back to the to the office and I said, so I understand we need a change of art. And he said, what? Because now he doesn't want to feel stupid. I should have approached it differently. But um, he said, no, no, I'm fine. I said, it's okay not to be fine. I mean, you're living here every day. Let's find, Let's walk around and find something you want to live with. 
I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, okay, well, can I talk to you about this piece maybe as long as you're fine with it <laughs> and tell you why I chose it? So we talked about the artwork and then I left. And then a few weeks later, they were moving him to a bigger office. And I thought, oh, thank God, this is a chance for him to save face and get the art he likes. So I came into his new office and I said, well, I want to walk around with you now and pick the art you most want to live with. And he said, I brought my picture. He brought it himself from his other office. It was really cool. So he, you know, he got into it. He learned about it. And when I first started to look at contemporary art, I didn't understand what I was looking at. It was a little bit scary. I remember, God, it was a long time ago, um, going in, coming to New York to look at art. And I walked into Paula Cooper Gallery and she had a show by Jill Shapiro. And there were, this was 35 years ago, at, no, maybe more. Um, and she had, there were like little bronze houses on the floor, tiny. I mean, it felt like Monopoly houses. They were really little. Mm-hmm. And I walked in, I thought, this is an art. And I walked out and I got to the sidewalk and I thought, mm, Diane, you want to be an art dealer? You better go figure this out. So I walked back in and I told Joel, Joel Shapiro later that I learned everything about monumentality that day, or at least a great deal about it that it doesn't need to be big to be big. It's fun to learn. I love it, but not everybody is going to approach it that way. So I'd love to help them. That's wonderful. That's what I was going to ask you. What are a couple of things that you tell people about art and then even some of our listeners, some things that they can even look up themselves when it comes to art that they're like curious about? Well, I mean, you can always look on our website. It's rxart.net. And we have amazing art on there. We have all of our projects. If you go to the projects tab and we talk about each of the artists. So there is something about all of the artists. And if you see something that you like, you can then Google them and look them up. Maybe you'll find something scary and maybe you won't. (laughs) So are there any future projects that you're working on? I think you mentioned a couple that are, will be coming up. Um, and we'll definitely have links to all of these things in the show's notes. We're doing a project that will be installed on December 22nd by Nicholas Party at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. It's a 207 foot long corridor that is going from the main hospital to the, uh, to the operating rooms. It's a really scary walk. But we've been working on this project for five years until we could find the right artist that everybody agreed was right. It's such a sensitive corridor that everyone we proposed was not appropriate for one reason or another. But when they saw Nicholas Party's really beautiful and imaginative, glorious landscapes, they said, yes. So Nicholas has been working on it and it's so beautiful. I can't wait to take that walk myself as soon as I'm allowed to fly. So, (laughs) but you guys may be able to see it. Um, So that's going to be installed on the 22nd of December. We're also working with Nina Chanel Abney, which we're super excited about to do a project at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. Elmhurst, I don't know if you are aware of it, but it's the hospital that was most severely impacted Mm -hmm. by COVID, at least in New York. And, you know, New York in the beginning was just a catastrophe. And Elmhurst had the greatest number of patients. And Queens, where Elmhurst is located, has the largest number of diverse ethnicities in the, certainly in New York, maybe in the country, it's a a super diverse um, borough. And Nina's gonna do something fantastic there. Uh, We're working on a project at um, Hackensack, which they're just choosing the artists now. We've given them some suggestions. And the same at um, 
Phoenix Children's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. We're waiting to find out what they think of the artists we've proposed. So we're working, we're always working on quite a few different projects. And the pipeline is sometimes on our website as soon as we get close to finishing. So Nicholas, there's a little detail of his work on our website. But Nina's, you won't see quite yet. Yeah, and I think uh, also you you mentioned even the Haas brothers, right? I think on our separate conversation that we had. It's our first sculpture. We're so excited. Um, Nikki and Simon Haas, who I know you have also interviewed, um, are so fabulously imaginative and generous of spirit. They're, it's really been an honor to meet these guys. They um, are doing a 14-foot tree for the entrance to Children's wow. National Hospital. It's who wants to walk into a hospital, right? Nobody. So they're going to walk in and see this 14-foot tree with on a marble mountain with these beautiful beaded leaves and one of their wacko characters or little beaded monkeys or something. We don't know what it'll be because it's done by um, a group in South Africa that they give pretty free reign to. So sometimes they said the animal comes back looking like what they described and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a surprise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. We're really excited and happy to be able to do our first sculpture. It's not something that hospitals ordinarily ask for because they're so afraid children will climb them. <laughs> this will be climbable and it will be a great way to walk into the hospital and just see something so cheerful at your first glance. Yeah, that's I can't awesome. imagine. That's going to be so incredible. It's um, going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about uh, some of the ways that some some of the people in the audience can find you. I think you mentioned rxart.net, but uh, where can others find you online and how can people support the beautiful, empathetic work that you guys do? Oh, easy. (laughs) If you go to our website, there are donate tabs everywhere. (laughs) Um, you You can donate to a specific project. You can buy things from our store. We have amazing coloring books. This is something I'm super proud of. Every two years, we have more than 50 artists give us drawings for a coloring book. It's different every year. We've completed seven volumes and we create these coloring books really just to give to children in hospitals. So we've donated more than 120,000 of them so far. You can also buy them on our website for $20, but they're given free to the hospitals. And the amount that we sell is less than 10%. It's really just given away. Um, we have prints that are we commissioned by artists. We have a Nicholas Party print and a Lowy Hollowell print, also a Harold Oncar print on our site. We have some great prints. And they every penny of what you buy in our store supports our projects. And for COVID, we're making artist masks. (laughs) (laughs) So we're working with FIGS, a medical apparel company. And on December 7th, or worst case, December 14th, the, um, our, we'll have masks by Dan Colon, which are, which they're on our website. They're so good. They're kisses. And, and, and Craven did a mask with a cat and a flower. And Rob Pruitt did a mask with pandas. And then because it wouldn't be appropriate for medical personnel, We are going to have a mask that's only available on our website in a very limited edition of 100 by Mel Bachner. And he's famous for his word paintings and especially for one that says blah, blah, blah. So this is a mask that says blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) You 
don't want a doctor or nurse to come in wearing a mask that says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so that will be only available through RxArts website. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Diane, and to see some of the wonderful things that you're doing, not only with artists, but really how much of the work that you guys all do, how it's affecting the medical field, too. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, Channing and Leah, it's really been my pleasure and my privilege to speak with you. Thank you. Looking forward to following you guys. was such an enjoyable conversation that we had with Diane. I really enjoyed that. One of the things I really enjoyed and I learned as a medical professional is the impact that art can have on a patient. Here, when a patient gets rolled down the hallways in a hospital, all they're looking at is the walls and the ceiling. But just hearing Diane's program that she has with RX Arts and seeing how the art in the hospital has affected patients, it's not as though as healthcare workers that we want patients to stay longer in the hospitals, but we want them because we really care for them. And we want them to have an enjoyable experience when they're in the hospital. I found that so remarkable. I really enjoyed that, too, as far as one of the things that we talked about a few times in different episodes, various episodes on this podcast is the concrete benefits that research has shown that patients get as far as less pain medication, shorter stay, and hearing how she and her team work with the hospital and the staff to go about prescribing art for the art for the hospital was just really amazing. Especially, and I really enjoyed that experience that she mentioned of the particular patient who's not necessarily into contemporary art, but because that print was there in her room, that looking at all the white walls, looking at reminders of the fact that she was in that, as was a patient in the hospital. Sometimes when we're a patient, we may feel like a little lab rat because of having to get stuck, having to be moved around. You can't sleep. Somebody's waking you up because you have to take your medicine, all these types of things. It was really cute hearing how that particular patient said that the print that she had on her wall, she would see something new every day. And it was like that print or whoever was in that particular print was talking to her every day. That was really, really nice to hear. And just a reminder that sometimes we don't want, we don't want to take our space for granted. Maybe because if it, if it works for us when we are sick, then imagine how it works for us on a daily basis and how beneficial little things like that can be. And just a quick note for our listeners, during the interview with Diane, I mentioned a artist that gave his experience to us on this podcast about how he was born with a particular bone disease and how now he works with hospitals, specifically with people that are students that are going to become doctors and surgeons on helping to create empathy using art. His name is Ted Meyer, and we'll have a link in the show's notes to that particular episode. That was a very, very interesting interview too. And if you want to hear more of our amazing interviews of these really amazing people that we've talked to, you can subscribe. You can also check us out online at clss.studio that's class without an a dot studio 
And if you'd like to hang out with us a little bit more, you can find us on Instagram, myself at Just Glaze Channing or Leah at Leah Smithson Art. You know, we want to thank you as a listener. We know that there's so many different things that you could be doing with your time, but you're here with us today and we really appreciate that. Thank you for listening in to Vessel Art as a Doorway.